Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com. Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com. From Texas Public Radio, this is Texas Matters, a weekly radio news magazine that looks at the issues, events, and people in the Lone Star State. Today on Texas Matters, the battle over the U.S. debt ceiling and Texas Congressman Chip Roy, what's at stake and who loses when the full faith and credit of the U.S. government is toyed with. I think it is critical that we change the way we're doing business, and I intend to use the debt ceiling to ensure that we get fiscal and structural reforms. This is Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. On Thursday, the U.S. government hit the artificial and arbitrary limit to borrow money at $31.4 trillion. This is not new or unusual. The U.S. government has been running on borrowed money since its founding. Right now, the Treasury is adjusting with emergency measures. This means the country's economy shouldn't feel the pain from the situation until about June. Hitting the debt ceiling normally isn't a cause for crisis. There is a pro forma process in Congress to grant the government the ability to borrow more, and the government and the economy goes forward. And that's what would be happening right now, except for this. The tellers agree in their tallies that the total number of votes cast is 428, of which the Honorable Kevin McCarthy of the state of California has received 216. The midterm elections didn't deliver a political red wave, but Republicans did manage to win the majority and control of Congress. Now governing, including passing a debt ceiling raise, is up to the Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, and his caucus of modern-day fire eaters, together with Texas Hill Country Congressman Chip Roy. Here's Roy on the floor of the House opposing McCarthy's nomination for Speaker. This is not personal. It's not. This is about the future of the country. This is about the direction of the country. American people who are looking at this body and wondering why we can pass $1.7 trillion bills that are unpaid for. They can just slide in $45 billion for Ukraine but not pay for it. $40 billion for emergency spending and not pay for it. 10% increase in defense spending, 6% increase in non-defense spending and not pay for it. And not do a thing except put language in a bill that prohibits our ability to use the money to secure the border. That bill gets rammed through, and we know exactly how it gets rammed through, because the defense world and the non-defense world come together and say, you know what, we're going to cut a deal, and we'll all go to the mics, and we'll all go give speeches, and the American people are the big losers. That's what happens. We know that's what happens. I'm going to sit here until we figure out how to stop spending money we don't have. I don't want any more empty promises. I don't want any more, oh, don't worry, trust us, we'll do it. I want to know that we're going to be able to exercise our rights as a member of this body to stand up for the American people and actually fix this country. And it's not going to happen when we use our men and women in uniform in defense and wrap ourselves around that and then spend more money that we don't have, weakening that defense, weakening our country in the process. 
Roy was a leader of the Freedom Caucus Republican holdouts who refused to support McCarthy in his quest to become Speaker initially, and later they switched. McCarthy eventually won on the 15th ballot to become Speaker, only after five Republicans voted present, and he made key concessions to some members of the far-right-wing Freedom Caucus, including what Roy wanted, a pledge that McCarthy would not pass raising the debt ceiling without significant spending cuts. If McCarthy caves and strikes a deal with Democrats and moderate Republicans in Congress, he will most certainly be fired as Speaker by Roy and the Freedom Caucus. Right now, McCarthy is sending out that message to President Biden and the Democratic-controlled Senate that he wants to work out a deal with spending cuts to pass the debt ceiling, but passing a clean debt ceiling raise is off the table. I don't see why you would continue the past behavior. Well, would that mean we wouldn't do any approps bills and we just do an omni that we wouldn't even do a budget? Yeah, that's totally off the table. Who wants to put the nation in some type of threat at the last minute of debt ceiling? Nobody wants to do that. That's why we're asking, let's, let's change our behavior now. Let's sit down. He's the president. We're the majority in the House. The Democrats are the majority in the Senate, and less exactly the way the founders designed Congress to work, find the compromise and find the, the common sense compromise that puts us back onto a balanced budget. The White House and the Democrats say no deal. They're not going to negotiate over the debt ceiling. Here's what Democratic Representative Jim Clyburn said to CBS News. But you ought to always be willing to make compromises. But you can't not compromise your principles. You cannot compromise the full faith and credit of the United States of America. And on principle, Democrats are not going to agree to anything that would jeopardize Social Security, Medicare, these kinds of issues that are there when the American people, they pay into Social Security. They pay into Medicare. The White House, Democratic officeholders, and economists agree that not raising the debt ceiling would be a global economic calamity. And just reaching this point where we are now creates an uncertainty about the federal government paying its debts. That's enough to destabilize markets and send shockwaves through the economy. If you have any doubt that messing with the debt ceiling is a terrible idea. Here's what happened after another political debt ceiling showdown. This is from NBC's Today Show on August 8th, 2011. Poor is a key agency that advises, advises investors on long-term securities lowered America's credit rating from AAA to AA+. It has never happened before. It's all about how the country will pay for its debt, and S&P pointed the finger at Washington. So in its report, the agency noted the, quote, difficulties in bridging the gulf between the political parties. It also added that it's become pessimistic about Congress and the Obama administration's ability to stabilize the nation's debt problem. The Government Accountability Office estimated that the delay in raising the 2011 debt ceiling increased government borrowing costs by $1.3 billion in 2011, but also points to unestimated higher costs in later years. The Bipartisan Policy Center extended the GAO's estimates and found that the delays in raising the debt ceiling would raise borrowing costs by a total of $19 billion. I reached out to Congressman Chip Roy's office to hear his reasoning for holding the debt ceiling hostage. After some back and forth, I didn't get the interview. But Roy hasn't been shy about talking to others 
about his plan for the debt ceiling and demanding spending cuts. Here's Roy on Fox Business News with former Trump official Larry Kudlow explaining how he didn't think blocking a debt ceiling raise would have negative consequences for the economy. Yeah, I think there's no question that it would help the economy. Look, people that start hand-wringing about the whole default on the debt, we're not going to default on the debt. We can prioritize debt. In fact, current law allows for the prioritization of of paying your debt payments. We're not going to default. They do this all the time. And in fact, the reason that the Democrats are hitting the gas to do the scare, you know, fear-mongering, scare tactics, is because they saw us successfully wrestle control of the message two weeks ago, work with Kevin McCarthy, work a deal where we could agree that we were going to make spending restraint our top priority to make sure that we limit the spending that is currently funding the bureaucrats that are funding woke, weaponized, and wasteful spending undermining the American people. We should use the debt ceiling to limit that spending, and then we should be on offense talking about what this means for the American people. Again, you can't gloss over what you just said about the climate change, uh, you know, worshiping and the woke policies that are undermining our ability to create wealth. Right here in Texas, we're going to be looking at 50% of our grid being wind and solar by the end of 2023. And I'm sure all the green folks are clapping. But you know what that means? You don't have reliable power when you end up with a big winter storm or a heat wave in the summer. We need to make sure we've got the right policies to create wealth and create uh, economic opportunity for the American people. We've got those policies. And it starts with spending restraint in Washington. Stop spending money we don't have. I spoke to Washington Post staff writer Aaron Blake about the game of chicken now being played in Washington, D.C. over the debt ceiling. Well, basically what just happened is that we have hit the the debt limit that was previously authorized by Congress. Now, that doesn't mean that there needs to be action immediately to avoid a default, but it does start the clock ticking towards that time. And so what the Treasury Department is doing currently is taking those extraordinary measures, using some workarounds to allow our country to continue to service the debt that it has accumulated over time. And by uh, what looks like early June, there will be a deadline where that will no longer work and the Congress will have to raise the debt ceiling in order to continue paying down that debt. Well, we've had government shutdowns before where they closed the national parks. Is that what we're talking about or is this something more severe? Yeah, so, so both situations are, are significant, but in different ways. So when you're talking about a government shutdown, you're talking about Congress not being able to come to an agreement on funding the government. And so certain non-essential government functions have to shut down. This situation is different because it is basically just uh, focused on paying the, the debts that the government has accumulated. So it has to do with our ability to um, to to get debt in the future, to to you know have good credit ratings that allow us to get that debt. And if Congress doesn't allow for the debt ceiling to be increased, then we would be in a situation where, unlike those government shutdowns which have happened, we would be entering a uh, you know crossing a new threshold here where the law of unintended consequences would really begin to take hold. So the government is no longer able right now to to borrow money, and so right now, the Treasury Secretary uh, Janet Yellen is is moving things around. Uh, she's delaying making some payments in, in some of these uh, f- trust funds that we have so in order to keep the government functioning. And by June, early June, that's going to run out of steam. And we're going to see what um, 
Will, will like the, the military stop being paid? Will the border patrol stop being paid? Will customs and border protection stop being able to allow cross-border trade? I mean, how bad could it get? Well, it, it's it's really uncertain exactly how this will play out because we've never been in that situation before. Uh, we have seen Congress bring things to the brink, uh, including in 2011 and 2013 when Republicans tried to get spending cuts out of this, which is basically what they're going to attempt to do now. Uh, and things got towards the very end. So in, in 2011, there was ultimately a deal struck for what was known as the sequester that uh, basically put in place automatic cuts if Congress at a later date wasn't able to agree on a package of more targeted cuts. And then in 2013, we had Republicans pushing for uh, various spending cuts up until the October deadline. And then ultimately, leadership decided to stop pushing. They decided they had given it a good go. But with that uh, default deadline looming, they were going to throw in the towel. And so I think that one of the big questions today is if we get to that point, if we're near the default, Will leaders actually be able to throw in the towel if they think they need to, or will the hard right portion of the House Republican conference um, prevent them from doing that in various ways? And so I think we're really entering some uncharted territory here. So in 2013, the then House Speaker John Boehner, you know, he went through this process and eventually he buckled and he was able to get a... uh, a coalition together in Congress with with Democrats and a few moderates in order to pass the an increase on the debt ceiling. Now we have Kevin McCarthy. He is the speaker, uh, just barely, and uh, he looks like he's dealing with a different kind of Congress. So is that a um, is that parachute available to him? Yeah. So so that's the, a key difference here. Um, when John Boehner in 2013 threw in the towel. There was an acknowledgement even among those like Senator Ted Cruz who had been pushing for this confrontation that they had given it a shot and and it didn't work and they were moving on. Um, Because, I think, of that experience, the hard right Freedom Caucus among House Republicans pushed for various concessions from Kevin McCarthy um, that might prevent him from, from doing what John Boehner did and basically being able to give up on the whole thing. Uh, They did a couple things. One was require uh, Kevin McCarthy to get spending cuts in a debt ceiling increase. That was part of the deal that allowed him to become speaker. And the other is that they um, gave themselves the opportunity to effectively remove him if if they don't think that he is doing the things that they want. They only need one person to force a vote on removing Kevin McCarthy as speaker. And so those things make it significantly more difficult, even if Kevin McCarthy wants to, to pass what's known as a clean debt ceiling increase. And so it leads to the question of what is the out here, because it doesn't appear as readily available as it did in 2013. So you mentioned uh, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, and one of his acolytes, uh, Texas Congressman Chip Roy, is now one of the leaders of the group who is demanding Uh, take it to the limit on the uh, debt limit, and he wants to see massive changes to the way the uh, spending operates in Congress. This this is what he is calling for. These are his words. Uh, Is he uh, like a de facto leader in this effort to uh, bring about a a breaking point? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Chip Roy become a leader of, of the opposition to raising the debt ceiling in the months to come. He was 
a central figure when it came to negotiating the concessions that Kevin McCarthy uh, gave the, the Freedom Caucus in the speaker votes. Um, he's a person who's proven that he's willing to um, to do things that maybe other Republicans in leadership don't feel as wise for their party, politically speaking. But uh, Chip Roy seems to believe in them um, on a principled level. Uh, and so given that and, and given his role in the speaker debates, I, I would not be surprised to see a lot of Chip Roy around this debt, debt ceiling debate in the months to come. When asked about these dire consequences that would come about, the uh, increase in interest rates, the uh, loss of employment in the country, the freezing of credit around the country and around the world, this, this is a, a global situation because uh, the dollar is you know, a global currency in many ways. Uh, he says that's not going to happen. He says that the, the White House will cave before they would allow all of, all of that to happen. And he's accusing the Democrats and uh, Biden's White House of, of refusing to negotiate. So therefore, they are the bad guys. And, and, and so that's the narrative that he's presenting. Well, will that fly? Yeah, so there's a couple points here. One is that despite the White House's posture that there will be no negotiation over this matter, there has been negotiation on this matter, not just when the sequester was agreed to in 2011 when Republicans were pushing, uh, but Democrats sought some concessions during the debt ceiling debates under Donald Trump. It wasn't for big spending cuts, but it was for other things, some spending increases, actually. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's one point. The other is this game of chicken that we're talking about here. So Chip Roy says he thinks the, the White House won't let it get to that point. I think it reinforces that this is going to go down to the wire. Um, it, it basically amounts to which side thinks that it will be blamed for this. And in the past, when we've had both government shutdown and debt ceiling standoffs like this, the verdict has generally been that the American people blamed the Republican Party more. And so if you're the White House, you may have some peace of mind that as this goes on, Republicans will see polling that shows, you know, voters blame them more. Uh, that would be in line with what's happened in the past. Um, but as we've said, this this faction, this House Freedom Caucus, hasn't always shown that it's particularly concerned about the things it's doing and how they're viewed. And so if they keep pushing, regardless of how this is viewed um, as being, you know, the Republicans' fault. Um, you know, what does the White House do? Do they give in in the name of of moving forward and avoiding that worst consequence, or do they do they try and push this and basically dare Republicans to take it that far? It's it's really going to be um, a very serious situation, and and that's why we call it a game of chicken. Well, the the more chickens you have in the game of chicken, the more interesting it becomes. Uh, and so you want to introduce as many variables a as you can. And so they're talking about, well, what else can they do? What are the workarounds that can be included? And uh, there's talk about the discharge petition, which is very complicated. I think it takes 30 congressional days in order to move it through. So that's like two and a half months in real time. Uh, so they need to get started on that now if that works. Also, they can talk about the presidential powers that Biden has is apparently in the Constitution. It says that he can't allow the country to to default and he has the ability to create a trillion dollar coin, apparently. Uh, so are people taking that seriously? I mean, they made a Simpsons episode about the trillion dollar bill. Uh, so you got to wonder how how serious is that? 
Yeah, so, you know, these are things that, you know, a discharge petition is basically where a majority of the House comes together and forces a vote on something. So if a, you know, a very small number of more moderate Republicans combine with Democrats because they were worried about where this debt ceiling situation might lead, they could force that vote eventually. But as you noted, it would take some time uh, for that process to play out. And we also have, you know, those even those more moderate Republicans aren't necessarily going to want to do this because it will look like they're undercutting their speaker and it could hurt them politically if they're looking like they um, they hurt their party's effort to get these spending cuts. As far as the the trillion dollar coin, um, this is something that's been floating around for the better part of a decade now as we've been having these standoffs. Uh, Obviously, it, it has not happened yet. It is a theoretically the, theoretically possible, but it's also the kind of thing um, that is really a last resort that nobody wants to do unless they really have to. And so and that certain people will be talking about that. We are already seeing even some Republicans talk about a discharge petition. But I think generally speaking in these standoffs, those those types of things um, are really only uh, brought about when we get very close to the deadline, when people start talking about them more seriously. And so I would expect that in in May and early June, this is something that people who maybe aren't listening to this full segment with with interest will suddenly be interested in because the the implications of all of this are just so massive. It'll impact their lives. It really will. Yes, exactly. Aaron Blake is a staff writer for The Washington Post. As mentioned, there is a line of thinking that a president doesn't have to wait for Congress to raise the debt ceiling and that he has the power to order the minting of a trillion-dollar coin. A 1997 law grants the Treasury Secretary the ability to mint platinum coins of any denomination. In theory, President Biden can order one or two trillion-dollar platinum coins, deposit them at the Federal Reserve, and then what? Well, it would be up to the markets, maybe the courts, and popular opinion to decide if this is just a dumb gimmick and not a budget fix. But here is The Simpsons in 1998 with their take on the trillion-dollar bill. In 1945, the people of Europe struggled to rebuild following the war. (laughs) Shut up, Simpson. To ease this crisis, President Truman promised relief. American tax dollars will help our allies who fought so poorly and surrendered so readily. To make good on this drunken boast, Truman authorized the one-time printing of the largest denomination currency ever, a trillion-dollar bill. The man chosen to deliver this Prescott Europe was America's wealthiest and therefore most trustworthy citizen, C. Montgomery Burns. Unfortunately, the money never arrived. I asked Johns Hopkins University financial expert Kathleen Day about the debt ceiling showdown and the trillion-dollar coin. Day is a full-time lecturer at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School and is an author. Her most recent book is Broken Bargains, Bankers, Bailouts, and the Struggle to Tame Wall Street. If you default on your debt, just like if you were to default on your debt and you didn't pay it, what would it do to your credit rating? Uh, it 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 would ruin it. And um, the next time you tried to borrow money, your cost of borrowing would be much more expensive, right? So that's what would happen if the U.S. Uh, defaults on its debt. This is what the play Hamilton is all about. This is what Hamilton, you know, at the beginning of, of our country, 
understood that we need to pay our debt if we are going to be able to have a robust economy and pay our bills. So uh, defaulting on debt is not is 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 not the way to do it. Now, I I do think that every year, I mean, I've watched this happen for decades where people have played chicken with the with the um, um, with the budget and 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 that and the debt ceiling. Um, now the budget, there's always the threat of a shutdown, uh, the government shutdown. Now that's one way to try to get the other side to bargain for what you want uh, in how the U.S. spends money. And the other way is to uh, not let the debt ceiling go up so that we default on our debt. It's just not a good thing to do. It hurts everybody. It's not the way to do it. It's one thing to play chicken with it in the sense of, of a bargaining tool. But this time, I think it's a little different because I think there is a small band of really kind of extremists who really but their real aim is to cut Social Security and Medicaid. They just don't like it. And so they're using this as the, as the rationale. And I, I'm not sure that's going to be very popular with voters. 66 million Americans depend on Social Security. And I think if you want to have a policy discussion about whether you want it or not, that's one thing. I, I think most people like it. it. But regardless, if you like Social Security or don't like it, I think having the U.S. default on the debt is an irresponsible way to, to try to get your point. But when the uh, tax bill was passed under Trump, the, the Republicans, you know, in the dead of night, that crazy tax bill where no one was able to see what was going on and private jets are, are there's tax deductions and all kinds of things that was funded without a, a compensatory, without any they cut taxes, without really finding a way to then fund what they cut to pay the budget. And the, and the strategy for some, when that happened, was they intended then to later come back and say, hey, you know, we have this uh, shortfall, so we need to cut spending. It, the whole idea of having that tax cut without providing for a way to pay for it was intended to be used as a tool later on to try to cut Social Security. That was a plan. A lot of people had that plan. Um, and so that's what we're seeing now. So we have this government debt. And we're hearing from Republicans who uh, don't want to raise the debt ceiling that the government debt is a clear and present danger to the United States. Now, it is the biggest threat to the United Why? States. Why? Why is that? That's a silly that, that when you say that it's not the biggest threat to the United States. <laughs> Yeah. So is it? But is it a threat? Borrowing this money? No debt is not. I mean, debt is debt is debt is debt. It's not good. It's not bad. Uh, when you buy a house, a lot of people borrow money to buy a house. Um, if they, it's just like anything else. If you um, make that more expensive, which defaulting on our debt would, it would raise all interest rates. It would make buying toothpaste more expensive, probably. But it would it, it would make your credit card debt more expensive, buying your car more expensive, getting a house. All right. So um, let me ask you about a trillion dollar coin that some people say uh -huh. that uh, Biden could order. That would be a workaround from if they don't want to, you know, pass a raise, the, a clean raise of the fiscal ceiling. Is that well, how does that work? But having a coin made out of platinum, platinum is actually worth something. People want it. They want to buy it. Whereas, you know, a dollar, I, the way that that the um, 
U.S. currency works, it's fiat, meaning it's not backed by anything. The reason that our dollar is worth something is that because of who we are, we're a democracy that the world believes in as much as they may malign us. We, we have a strong military. We have a strong uh, a, a judicial system, a, a democracy, despite all the BS about stolen elections. We have a system people trust, and that is really good for business. So we have a currency that's called fiat, meaning we don't have to have it backed by anything except the full faith and credit of the United States because we are so believed, people so believe believe in our system. Even our enemies believe in it. That's why they buy houses here secretly. So when you have a coin, it actually is worth what it is worth. It's not paper money. So you could do that and say, we're going to print this from our reserves or wherever it is and have this coin and borrow against it, I guess, or have people, I don't know, uh, you could, uh, I don't know how exactly that mechanism would work, but it's basically taking something of value and giving it to from one place in the government to another place where they can count it on the where the bean counters of the government can count it against reserves. So it's, it becomes an asset of the of the federal government. It's a little bit of uh, accounting chicanery, but it, it you could do it, I guess. But again, this is how to how to get around silliness using, you know, what is it? Chicken wire and gum. Kathleen Day is a financial expert at Hopkins Carey Business School. She has studied financial scandals and debt. Her most recent book is Broken Bargains, Bankers, Bailouts, and the Struggle to Tame Wall Street. That's it for this edition of Texas Matters. Thanks for listening. I'm David Martin Davies. You can email us at texasmatters at tpr.org. Check out past Texas Matters programs on our website at tpr.org. And tune in again next week for another edition of Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com. Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com.